you live far away, uh, join a healthy church uh, wherever you're at. And we are, my prayer is that we would worship God in spirit and in truth today. Good morning, everybody. I'm glad to see everyone here, and we're glad for everyone who's watching on YouTube and all those who are anxious to hear the Word of God. That's what we're here for, is we're here to hear the Word of God. We want to worship God and praise Him for being the great God He is, and then we want Him to speak to us and give us ears to listen so that we'll do what He wants us to do. Our call to worship this morning is Psalms 51 through 6, and I'd like us to read it together if you would. Um, Psalm 50, 1 through 6. The mighty one, the God, the Lord speaks. He summons the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. From Zion, the perfection of beauty, God appears They, they messed me up with the signer. I'm sorry. <laughs> I need to look at this. Okay. The perfection of beauty. God appears in radiance. God is coming. He will not be silent. Devouring fire precedes him, and a storm rages about him. On high, he summons heaven and earth in order to judge his people. Gather my faithful ones to me. Those who made a covenant with me by sacrifice, the heavens proclaim his righteousness, for God is the judge. Let's pray. Dear Father, you are the mighty one, creator of heaven and earth, God of gods, king of kings, Lord of lords, the one who calls us to yourself, the one who calls the sun to rise and to set in your omnipotent power the one who has perfect beauty and majesty. We thank you that you ride on the clouds of glory to care for and to gather your faithful ones to you. We thank you that you care enough to judge the earth in mercy and holiness. Let the heavens proclaim your righteousness and let your people proclaim the good news that Jesus saves us from our sins. The news that by this death and resurrection we can escape the devouring fire of God's judgment and the storm of his wrath. Thank you, God, for the love you have shown us in the covenant sacrifice of Christ that brings us into your good grace. Truly, we say with David, what is man that thou art mindful of him? We praise you this morning and give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, church. Stand with us. We're singing a cappella this morning, and we're starting out with hymn number 492 at Calvary. Years I spent in vanity and pride, caring not my Lord was crucified, knowing not it was for me he died. Mercy there was great and 
I thought that was great, don't you? We're going to pray now uh, for confession of sin. Anybody have sin in their life? Yes, we all do, don't we? And if God is going to use us, even as believers, we need to confess our sins, don't we? If we want to be vessels for God to use. And the thing is, God has made that provision through his son, Jesus talked about at the cross at Calvary it's there it's for us God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins if we ask for forgiveness and confess our sins right so let's let's pray Holy Father we we thank you God that you are holy that you're infinitely holy there is none like you and God that you've created everything for your glory. God, and you created man, the pinnacle of your creation, to reflect your glory. But man had chose to go his own way. But God, in your great love, you 
put together a plan to restore and reconcile man back to yourself by giving your perfect son, God the Son, for us. We thank you for the perfect life that he lived, the life we could never live. We thank you for his obedience in all things, which becomes our obedience, God. We praise you for that. We thank you for his crucifixion, his shed blood, his death, his resurrection. We praise you for all that you've done to reconcile sinners to yourself. And God, we come to you right now to confess we fail every day, each and every day. God, we just pray that you would forgive us of our sins. Our sins, God, of apathy, not being zealous for you constantly. Help us, God, revive us. Give us a fresh burning desire within us, a passion to be about your business in this community that you've placed us in. To be willing to go out into the community and share the gospel. If we're not able to go out, to be willing to pray during the whole time people are going out. That God, those that are lost and going to hell would be able to hear the good news and that by your power through the work of your spirit you would open their hearts and draw them to yourself. God, all that starts with your people as you've called us to go out. Help us, God. Forgive us for we have fallen short in our apathy, God. Help us to revive us, to give us a burning desire to be faithful to you, to want to spread the gospel, to see the kingdom advance. All to your praise, honor, and glory that this community could see that God is who he says he is, that he can accomplish all that he desires. And God, we praise you that you do forgive us for our sins, for Jesus paid it all for his people. God, help us to go forth and bring glory to you. We ask this in your name. Amen. Stand with us again as we continue worshiping. We're singing hymn number nine, Glorify Thy Name. Father, we love you, we worship and adore you. Glorify thy name in all the earth. Glorify thy name. Glorify thy name. Glorify thy name in all the earth. Number 705, it is well with my soul. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever 
You may be seated. God, I thank you so much for this day that we get to worship you, that we get to worship you with our voices and sing praises to your name. Lord, I pray that as Josh comes up um, to preach the word, that you would um, help him to speak clearly. Lord, speak through him. God, help our worship service to glorify you and honor you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We'll be in Psalm 91 today, Psalm 91, and the title of today's message is Protection from the Most High, Protection from the Most High. Last week, we, we kind of went through a, I would say, a difficult psalm dealing with uh, the justice of God and how we pray for justice and how we, at the same time, love our enemies. Uh, This week, we'll be in Psalm 91, and it'll be uh, somewhat easier in that we're we're finding comfort, we're finding joy, we're finding peace, and that we can trust in God to protect us. Now, it's easier in that sense, but it's also complicated. (laughs) Because I'm just going to read Psalm 91, verse 10. It says, about those who trust in God, it says, no harm will come to you. No plague will come near your tent. But there are many people here that trust in God. They have trusted in God with their their lives. They have sacrificed many things for the Lord. God is their everything, but yet harm has still come to you. So what do we do with that, right? How do we understand this? Christians still experience hardships and sufferings. So what is the purpose of this psalm here today? I think God wants us to find comfort, find our comfort, even if we're suffering, even if we're harmed, find comfort in trusting him, trusting God. If trust is the main point, how how do we still explain the phrase, no harm will come to you? How do you explain that? First, I think there's some kind of three main points of how we can kind of get a background or get an understanding to wrap our heads around this idea. I think first is that this psalm should be understood as a proverb, is proverbially, like as the genre of proverbs. If you read through the proverbs, it, it talks about the wise man will be in safety. The wise man who follows God's law will live securely. And we, when we read those proverbs, we know that you could be the wisest person in the room and do everything God says, but something could still happen, right? Something bad could still happen. And so we take those as to be generally true. Those who follow God will be generally uh, happy and generally prosperous, but we know that things happen in this life, okay? So God wants us to trust in him even in that moment where bad things happen, even when we do everything right, that something goes wrong. He wants us to still trust in him even when we can't explain why something went wrong. There are many ways you could seek out to answer why something went wrong Um, because that's my second point is as as we think about that, we think about why things go wrong as Christians. We know we don't experience pain and suffering in this life as a punishment from God, right? As a Christian, as someone who has trusted in Jesus, Jesus has taken every punishment for you. There's no wrath, there's no punishment left, right? And so the bad thing that happened in your life is not as a punishment from God. Um, It could be for a number of reasons. God could allow suffering to humble you. He could allow suffering to draw you closer to himself, to show that you need him. If you had everything go your way, how likely would it be that you would depend on God? Sometimes bad things happen to Christians. God allows that in order that as a form of correction, as a loving father corrects his son. 
And so, and then the third thing that we can understand about this psalm, a background to have in our head, is that we need to remember that anything good we have is a gift. Anything good we have is a free gift, undeserved. Because we often get into the idea of thinking that we deserve something good. And so when something bad happens, we think we don't deserve that, right? But as we've talked about today in our worship service, we've, we, we are before a holy God. We realize that we're sinful. And when you realize that you're sinful and you have a deep understanding of that, you realize you don't deserve anything good. And so any good gift, any time, if you're, if you're here today, it's because it's God's good gift to you, right? If you were able to get out of bed this morning, it's God's good, good gift to you. Anything that you have that is good is a gift. So if we have that understanding, we can, we can more understand this idea of God's protection. Because God protects us in so many ways we don't even think about. We probably don't even know about. And most importantly, as we look at today, God protects us here and now physically in the temporal world of health and uh, safety and those things. But ultimately, God protects us for eternal life. God gives us protection spiritually. Okay, and we'll get into that throughout the psalm as well. Seeing both elements, the temporal, the physical, and the spiritual. He protects us in this life, and he protects us in the life to come for those who trust in him. And, and so for the Christian, for the follower of Jesus, God wants, you, God wants to encourage you today. He wants you to know from his word that you don't need to be afraid, that he wants you to have courage. He wants you to have peace, have comfort in the fact that you can trust God as your ultimate protector. And if you're here today, and you're not a follower of Jesus, if you're still trying to figure out who Jesus is, please consider Jesus from this perspective of the Old Testament. Consider Jesus as the protector, the shield of his people. And if that is true, if Jesus is the shield and the protector of his people, consider and take seriously the consequence if you do not have God as your protector. Okay? That is a serious thing to consider. If God is not your protector, what does that mean for you now? And what does that mean for eternity? So that's kind of my preamble. That's the long introduction. Let's get into it here. We got four main points. Number one, asking the question, is God your fortress in all things? Is God your fortress in all things? Number two, there is no condemnation in Christ. No condemnation in Christ. Number three, angelic protection. Angelic protection. And then lastly, number four, God's promises to the one who loves him. God's promises to the one who loves him. So first, is God your fortress in all things? Psalm 91, verse 1. says, The one who lives under the protection of the Most High dwells in the shadow of the Almighty. So the Most High here and the Almighty refer to God. They're depicting him as powerful, all-powerful, the Most High. There is no other gods before him. And the, if you're dwelling in the shadow, or some tr translations might translate it as the secret place, if you are in the shadow and secret place of God, that is referring to the temple, to where God's presence dwelt in the Old Testament. But we know that God's presence was looking forward to the time of the, the new covenant. Jesus came. God's presence dwelt with humanity. And Jesus walked the earth, dwelt with his people, literally and physically. And then after he died, rose again, and ascended to heaven, he sent his spirit to dwell in believers. So now God's spirit, God's temple is with his church, with his people. We have the presence of God in us. So for Christians who have been born again, who have trusted in Jesus as your God, as your Savior and your King, you've been filled with the Holy Spirit. You need to realize that you are under the protection of God the Most High, the Almighty. He is with you. He dwells in you. The secret place, the safe place is available to you anywhere you are. 
You don't have to go to a building. You don't have to go to a special place. We don't have to take a pilgrimage across the sea. God is with you wherever you are. You can find refuge. You can find strength. You can find protection in God. When you are afraid, when you're anxious, when you're lonely, remind yourself that God is with you. And that also means if you're trusting in God as your fortress, if he is your protection, if he is where your, your safety comes from, that also means that you don't need to be putting your ultimate trust in anything else. Don't put your trust in another God, another idol. An idol is a false god, something we worship. And many here today, I would, you would probably say, I don't worship an idol. I don't have a little statue in my house. But... We all have idols of the heart. Maybe that be money, relationships, entertainment, material possessions. These things, we want to put our hope in them, our security in them, our trust in them. If these things are taken away, we are distraught. We cannot move on. We cannot live anymore without these things. Therefore, they are your idol. Put your ultimate trust, your ultimate joy, your satisfaction, not in anything else but God, the Most High, the Almighty. Declare, as the psalm says in verse 2, I will say concerning the Lord, who is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Can you say that? Is God the one you trust in? Is he your fortress? Is he your refuge? A refuge and a fortress are kind of like, you can think of big protective buildings that will keep you safe. Imagine where would you go if in the, the worst storm or in the midst of a war? Where would you go to be safe? That, that is, is picturing God as the ultimate safe place. Trust in him. Depend on him. Pray to him in times of suffering. Learn from him. Learn from his word about what to do in times of suffering. Because remember, he is your fortress. He is your refuge. He is your protection. Why would you not follow what he says? Because, like we said already, we will go through suffering. That's why we need a fortress. That's why we need a refuge, because there's going to be bad things around us. But God will ultimately deliver us from them. As he gives us some pictures, some examples of what it's like for God to be our protection. What is it like for God to be our Savior? He uses real-life examples. He gives us a few in the following verses. Verse 3, he says, talking about God, he himself, God will rescue you from the bird trap. Now, a bird trap, or this could be a reference to any hunter's trap, these are usually hidden, right? They spring up fast on the animal. We face many trials, many hardships, that will be the same, be, be like the same thing. It will spring up fast upon us. We won't see it coming, right? If you saw the hardship, if you saw the struggle, struggle ahead, you could maybe avoid it. You could maybe protect against it. But we don't know what's going to happen in the next few minutes. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, the next year. These traps could be set up by our enemies, people trying to hurt you, right? Or these traps could have been traps we laid ourselves, and we walked right into our own mess we made. No matter the cause, if someone else laid it or we laid the trap ourselves, in the midst of that trap, if you are caught in that trap, where will you turn? God wants us to turn to him to trust in him to rescue you. Now, you may be in the trap longer than you would want to be. Or you may be in a trap that is so painful that you don't think you can make it another day. But if you are a follower and worshiper of God, remember, he will rescue you from that trap sooner or later. The pain and suffering will not last forever. God could give you relief in this life. And we have prayed for God to give people relief in this life. And God has answered so many prayers. But I know for sure 
that he will definitely answer the prayer one day in eternal life. He will give you relief from every pain, every suffering that you're experiencing if you trust in him. Because the one who does not trust in God, they do not have this promise of relief. We can trust in God to save us from the traps of life and also save us, as verse 3 says, save us from the destructive plague. Now, interesting here, just as kind of a side note, bear with me. There's the Hebrew word here for plague is very similar to the word word. Okay, <laughs> bear with me. It's the, how the Greek translation understands it. So thus, the God would be rescuing us, I would think the translation should be, from a destructive word. Okay? So this would be in reference to people's lies, people's slander, people saying mean and unthings true about you. God will save us from those words that people say. He will vindicate us. Now, I don't think God will stop people from saying mean things about us. He definitely could. That would be wonderful. But I think what it's saying is he will rescue, rescue you from these things, from these destructive words, in two ways. One, he will vindicate us in this life. He could, in this life, he could vindicate us. He could, he could show the world that what other people are saying is not true. You, your life can show what you really believe by showing to people that those things were not true about you, that you are honest, you are following God, that you are repentant, things like that. People, that could be made known to people, and people repent of their ways and give you honor instead of destructive words. And second, more importantly, what God could do is that he will, for sure, he will vindicate us in eternal life. Everything that someone said negative about you or mean about you or lied about you, all that would be made known on the judgment day to be whether true or false. And what matters is not what, other, what someone else said about you, but it matters what God will say about you. It doesn't matter what other people said. It will matter if God says, well done, my good and faithful servant. That will make all the difference. You want God to save you from those destructive words. And God will tell that to his people because in Christ we are adopted into God's family. We will be welcomed into eternal life because God is our loving father. He will protect us. As verse 4 says, He will cover you with his feathers. You will take refuge under his wings. His faithfulness will be a protective shield. Don't miss the amazingness of this, that God is being referenced here as a bird. Like God of the universe, creator of all things, God Almighty is, in a sense, humbling himself and saying, I am a, a bird. I am protecting you with my wings and my feathers. Like it is a close relationship. He loves us. It is amazing to think about. Because God, at the same time, is our fearless military leader. He is our fortress in a battle. But he also protects us gently and lovingly as a bird. Though the storm may be raging in your life, remember that God is still there. We can take refuge. We can take shelter under his wings. His wings are our protection. They are our shield. And notice that it is God's faithfulness that will be our shield. Now the word here for faithfulness could literally be translated as truth, as the King James Version does. So God's truth will be a protective shield. His faithfulness will be a protective shield. So I think the idea is this, God's truth or God will be true to his people, right? If you're true to someone, what does that mean? If you're, I'm gonna be true to your wife, I'm gonna be true to my wife, that's going to be, I'm going to be faithful to her, right? I want to be true to my promises to her. And so in the same way, God will be true to his people. He will be faithful to his promises. Everything that he promised will come true. We need not fear. We don't need to be anxious. We don't need to doubt whether God will be true to those things. 
We don't need to trust in ourselves. We don't need to trust in someone else as our ultimate Savior. But we need to find our hope, find our ultimate peace in the God who is true and faithful protector. So do you trust him? Is he your fortress? Have you given your life to him? Have you trusted him with your life? Because he is worthy of it. He is the only one worthy of that kind of trust. And if you have trusted in him, look to verse 5. This is a promise for you who have trusted in God. It says, you will not fear the terror of the night, the arrow that flies by day, the plague that stalks in darkness, or the pestilence that ravages at noon. If you trust in God, we don't need to be afraid. We don't need to be afraid of disasters now or disasters to come. And the word pestilence here is another word for destruction. So some kind of destruction, some kind of calamity, something bad happening, some major disaster. We don't need to be afraid of that. Now we also don't need to, I don't want you to misunderstand, these things are scary in a sense, okay? Uh, a surprise attack at night, uh, even the fearless and bold attacks of someone coming at you during the day, plagues and destructions are usually to be avoided, right? We do not want these things to happen. But if God is on our side, that changes how you view these things. It changes how you respond to these things. With God with you, it changes these things. You, how you see these scary things, they're no longer as scary as they once were. With God on your side, you can be brave. You can press on. You can live for God and his mission. You can take chances. You can take risks. You can have rest in the midst of a storm. You can have peace even in the midst of war because you know you will win one day. You will win one day, either in this life or in the life to come. This should be comforting for us, for God's people. But this also should be a wake-up call for God's enemies. As we turn to our next section, no condemnation in Christ. In verse 7, he says, Though a thousand fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, the pestilence or destruction will not reach you. You will only see it with your eyes and witness the punishment of the wicked. So while God's people are still facing suffering, they're facing persecution, they're facing trials and traps and people being mean and saying terrible things, there's a distinction here between the righteous, God's people, and the wicked, God's enemies. There's a difference between those who trust and follow God and his ways and those who do not. The wicked are those who do not repent of their sin. The wicked are those who do not trust in God as their refuge, who go their own way, who trust in themselves, who trust in other things, who worship other gods. The wicked do what is right in their own eyes instead of what God says is right. Now, we need to remember that all of us were once in that category. If you're a Christian here, if you're a follower of Jesus, you were once in the category of wicked. You were once in the category of doing what you wanted to do, you were once in the category of not worshiping God. You once did not find God as your fortress. You were trusting in something else. But because of God's grace, because someone shared the message with you about Jesus, because he opened your eyes to see the gospel, you were saved from that. You were transfer, transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And again, the only way you, that can happen, the only way you can be, go from wicked to righteous the only way you can go from being an enemy to being a friend of God is through trusting in Jesus to take the punishment that you deserved for your wickedness. And here in the psalm, he is talking to the righteous. He is talking to those who trust in God, those whom God saved by his grace. Again, it's a free gift. It's undeserved. And God is encouraging them. God is encouraging us not to be afraid of his punishment. The temptation will be to even after you accept Jesus to have this fear that God is going to punish you, right? There is a healthy fear and awe and reverence of God who is holy, but it is different when you know that Jesus took the punishment for you. 
There is no punishment for those in Christ. Though people around you may sin, though people around you may rebel against God, and they will receive God's punishment for their sin, those who trust in God have nothing to fear. Romans 7, 24. Paul, this is the Apostle Paul, recognizing his sinful state. He says, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's how you're saved, through Jesus Christ as your Lord. Then jump down to verse 1, Romans 8, 1. Because of that, therefore, there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. That means there's no guilt. There is no uh, condemnation. There is no sentence of punishment on you. That sentence has been enacted. Justice has been served in Jesus in your place. Jesus took the punishment in your place. He rescued you from sin. He rescued you from death. Being saved from the punishment of God is not by doing enough good deeds. It's not by refraining from evil. It's not about being better than the next guy. The only way to be saved from the punishment of God is to trust in him as your savior, as your God, as your refuge, as your fortress, as your loving father. As it says in verse 9, we can have peace, we can have joy, we can, try, we can be saved because you have made the Lord, my refuge, the most high, your dwelling place. If God is your refuge and your dwelling place, that's how you're saved. No harm will come to you, no plague will come near your tent. This is one of the distinguishing marks of Christianity from other religions. Many other religions tell you you have to earn your way to God doing good deeds, refraining from evil deeds. God's word, the Bible teaches us that if you want to be saved from the punishment and be with God for eternity, make God your refuge. Trust in him as your savior, your protector. After God is your refuge, after you are received that salvation, we are to live out that salvation. It is a result of our salvation that we love people and that we do good works not a not a not to earn our salvation but it is a result of our salvation it is response to what god has done for us so trust in god and there is eternal life awaiting in which there is no harm no harm will come to you there no more plagues no more doctor's visits only living as god meant us to live but for the Christians now, we still go through, the, through these things, but God is with us, and he has given us special help and special protection. As we look at our third point, angelic protection in verse 11. He says, For he will give his angels orders concerning you to protect you in all your ways. Now, some people might overemphasize the role of angels, while some underemphasize their role. I would lean on the underemphasis in my Christian history of my Christian growing up. We did not talk much about angels. Now, somebody, we can have this discussion on Wednesday night. Join us then. We had great discussions on Wednesday night prayer service. Talk about angels. Very interesting topic. But it is clear that angels actually function in God's plan and function in our lives to protect us, as Psalm 91 verse 11 says. And it is clear that there is more going on in the world than we can see. There is a spiritual realm. Something is going on spiritually. Spiritual battles, angels, uh, spiritual, created beings have a role and can affect things in our lives. It says here angels serve as guardians, as protectors of God's people. And I just want to go through a few examples from the Bible to help us see a bigger picture of angels and how they help God's people. Uh, we'll go to the first one. This is a famous one. 2 Kings 6, 17. 2 Kings 6, 17. It says, Then Elisha prayed, Lord, please open his eyes and let him see. So the Lord opens the servant, opened the servant's eyes, and he saw the mountain was covered with horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So what's going on here is that these were reference to the protective angels around Elisha. 
but the servant couldn't see them. They were, he, he was spiritually blind to them. God opened up his eyes to see that they were there. And even in the New Testament, it speaks of angels this way. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14, he says, and this is kind of an assumed, this is kind of an aside. He's talking about a different subject, about how Jesus is greater than the angels. And he says, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve those who are going to inherit salvation? So he's talking about angels. And he's like, you know that angel, Jesus is better than the angels because the angels are serving the Christians. Serve, that's what angels' role is. It's kind of understood. And then Jesus says this about angels in Matthew 18, 10. He says, see to it that you don't despise one of these little ones, because I tell you that in heaven their angels continually view the face of my Father in heaven. So people have, these little ones have angels, their own angels, and sort of a protection, protecting them in some way. And angels, last one we'll go to here, angels help Jesus. And they provided him with food and water after he, his time of fasting and he, after he was tempted by the devil in the desert. Matthew 4.11, the devil left him and angels came and began to serve him. So we see it is clear God uses angels to help. He uses his angels to support and protect his people at times. But it is important to remember that God is our ultimate help. God is the one who sent the angels. God is the one who created the angels. God is our ultimate support. God is our ultimate protection. He uses intermediaries like angels, or he could even send a person to help you. But he is the one where our help ultimately comes from, where all good gifts derive. Because the point of Psalm 91, when it says, for he, that is God, will give his angels orders concerning you to protect you in all your ways. The point is that he tells us this so we don't have to fear. He doesn't want us to fear. He wants us to trust in God. And he details to us one way how God protects us, using angels. So he wants us to trust in God. God is trustworthy. And if our ultimate hope is in God, thus, I don't think... Many people may have this temptation here today, but just to preface, I don't know who, maybe someone's listening, but thus, we do not need to pray to angels. If you come up from a different background, this might be more popular in other denominations or religions, praying to other people, praying to other uh, spiritual beings besides God. That's not what the biblical practice is. Um, we do not pray to angels. Our prayers are always to be directed only to God. He is our ultimate hope and protection. Nor do we need to pray specifically for angelic protection. I don't think it would necessarily be wrong to ask for angelic protection. Growing up, we'd go on uh, like mission trips and youth trips, and we would uh, always pray for safe travels. And depending on who would be praying, they would ask for like a hedge of protection, right? That angelic protection around the van. I think that's a fine prayer. But I think we would be better off following the example of Scripture and petitioning God himself to protect us and let him decide if that be through angels or some other means. So that's just my, we can talk about that on Wednesday as well. <laughs> but I think, again, the main point is that he wants us to trust in God. He wants us to, to show us that God is protecting us. The angels are already surrounding us. We don't need to fear. We need to trust. In verse 12, he says, these angels, they will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Have you ever had a close call? Have you ever looked back on an event? Maybe you just missed a car accident or something like that and think, wow, that could have been way worse. God is gracious and angels could have been a part of that protection. Again, within the context of the Bible and even Psalm 91 itself, this does not guarantee that God's people will never experience harm. But again, this should be taken generally as a proverb that any protection you receive, any good thing that you receive is from the Lord. Trust in him. Thank him for that protection. We do not need to misunderstand. We do not need to twist the scriptures and misunderstand this one. Historically, this has been done. Someone famous, Matthew 4, 5, misinterpreted and actually used this verse to tempt Jesus to sin. 
The devil did this. He misinterpreted and twisted the meaning to tempt Jesus to sin. Matthew 4, 5, it says, The devil took him to the holy city, that is Jesus, and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. So he's standing on top of the temple. And the devil said to Jesus, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. So here is Satan quoting scripture. He says, he will give his angels orders concerning you, and they will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. He just quoted Psalm 91, verse 12. Angels will protect you. You can throw yourself down. They'll protect you. What did Jesus say? He says, it is also written, do not test the Lord your God. So knowing the Bible is great. Memorizing the Bible is great. But reading and memorizing the Bible is not enough. You must rightly interpret the Bible. A few times over the years, people have come up to me and they have told me about someone they really respected, thinking that they were a, a, a godly person, and the evidence that, that someone is a godly person is that they memorize a lot of the Bible. They could or could not be a godly person because of that. I usually respond, that's great, Bible memorization is great, you should hide God's word in your heart so you don't sin against him. But I've never really been bold enough to ask if their friend also interpreted the Bible rightly and lived the Bible that they memorized. Did they live that out? Because look here, Satan knew the Bible. Satan probably has the Bible memorized better than I do. But he misused the Bible to tempt Jesus to sin. We need to read the Bible well. We need to read passages in context. We need to see what other believers have said about passages. You ask in your church. You can find things on online, commentaries, people that you would trust. We're not in this alone. Pray and ask God to give you understanding and discernment of his word. He has filled other people besides you with the Holy Spirit. He has gifted his church with people, teachers, and leaders who can, we can learn from others. And so we don't need to use Psalm 91, 12. It says, they will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. We don't need to use that to justify reckless living. We, don't, we can't say, oh, I can do whatever I want. I can eat however I want. I can do whatever I want, and God's going to protect me. We need to be wise. If you live like that, you're disobeying Jesus. We don't need to put the Lord your God to the test. You're testing him. We don't need to do that. But we also don't need to be afraid. We need to live bravely. We need to live trusting in the Lord. Because verse 13 says, talking to, to those who trust in God, he says, you will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the young lion and the serpent. I just talked about living wisely. That doesn't seem wise to do. <laughs> to walk over a lion or to walk on top of a cobra snake, both of these animals are very dangerous. Jesus said, don't put your God to the test. So I know what not to do here. Don't go and pick a fight with a lion or a snake, please. That's not the point of this passage. It seems to be saying that if you came across a dangerous animal, if you're in the wilderness, people traveling far distances by foot, if you're, and you come across one of these dangerous animals, God is powerful enough to protect you from them. Because I can imagine going back to the first century, you're walking everywhere you go. You might be tempted, especially the first Christians who are going to go out and share the gospel. They'd be like, well, it's dangerous. I have to walk through the wilderness. So maybe I don't want to go and share the gospel because what if I get bit? And, you know, uh, what, all these things. But they could go to this verse and say, you're following God's will. You want to be wise. You, you want to do what's wise. But God can protect you from these things, right? God can protect you from these things. God is more powerful than a lion or a cobra. He can protect you from those. And also, that's kind of like the physical, temporal way in this life God can protect you. But lions and snakes could also symbolize evil and dangers more generally, just anywhere in your life, evil and dangers that you foresee, God can protect you from those. Specifically, they could symbolize Satan, because Satan took the form of a serpent in the Garden of Eden. And God promised that one day Eve's offspring would strike Satan's offspring of sin and evil, 
in Genesis 3.15. And then Peter, uh, the Apostle Peter, in 1 Peter 5.8, relates the devil to a lion. He says, be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. So not only are we able to overcome physical dangers, by God's power and protection, we're over, be able to overcome spiritual dangers. We're over, be able to overcome the devil. We're able to overcome temptation, overcome sin and evil. Jesus defeated Satan. He crushed the serpent's head. He has crushed sin and death on the cross when he rose and when he rose again. These are the promises to anyone who trusts in Jesus, who has God as their fortress, as their ultimate protection. God will save you from death. He will save you from sin. And as we see in the last verse, three verses, God speaks about those who love and who know and who trust him. He makes these promises in our last section. God promises to the one who loves him. Psalm 91 verse 14. Because he has set, he has his heart set on me. God is speaking here and he's talking. He says, he, because he has his heart set on me, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. Notice what does it take for God to deliver you? What does it take for God to protect you? It doesn't say be a better person and then I will deliver you. It doesn't say do enough good things or give enough money to the church, then I will protect you. It doesn't just say be hopeful and hope for the best, then maybe it will work out in the end. No, it doesn't say that. You have to have your heart set on God. Or other translations say because you have to have love for him. You have to love God. You must love God with all your heart. You must have your heart set on him. You must be sincerely devoted to God for him to deliver you. Think about it. If God is real, if the Bible is true, if God is the all-powerful creator of everything, and if Jesus died for your sins and he rose again, and you say you believe all that, how can you not be lovingly devoted to him? It can't be just lip service. It can't be an empty belief that you say in your head that, gives, that helps you go to sleep at night. If you don't love God, if you don't really trust him to be your fortress and your savior, do you really believe in him, right? God loves you and he wants you to love him back. He wants you to know his name. That means that he wants you to really know him. That phrase in the Old Testament, even in the New Testament, to know someone's name, to believe in someone's name, is to really know them. You can know a lot about God without actually knowing him, a personal relationship with him. It's a real, sincere, devoted relationship to him. You're following him. You're praying to him. You're trusting him. You worship him. You want to do what he tells you to do. That is the kind of trust God deserves. What he desires, what he dictates for us to do. And it's best for us to do that. Trust in him this way. And the promises of eternal salvation are yours. In verse 15, he says, When he calls out to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and give him honor. So this type of person, the person who loves God, who's devoted to him, who actually knows God, you will naturally call out to God for help. And here are the promises. God will answer you when you cry out for help, for help. He is there for you. He is with you. Comfort and peace are found in God's presence. Other places in scripture make it clear that God answers prayers according to his good and perfect will. Thus, when it seems that God didn't answer our prayer, he actually did answer it. But maybe it wasn't in our way, the way we wanted him to. Maybe it wasn't in our timing. And some of our prayers, if we're honest, 
were probably not good prayers to make. In retrospect, we, we would have seen that would not have been good for me if God granted that prayer. He knows what's best for us. And it keeps going back to the point, the point that he wants us to trust in him. Sometimes we just don't know why things happen until we will get to heaven, why God answered some prayers the way he did. We have to keep going back to the trustworthiness of God. Is he your fortress or not? Depend on him no matter what. Because he is the only answer. He is our only fortress. He is the only way of rescue. God is the only one that really matters what he thinks of us. Will God honor you? God will honor the one who loves him, who trusts in him, as it says. He will give him honor. And this is amazing. And I think that the God of the universe will give humans, his creation, honor. He will honor us. Not only just his creation, but we're sinful, rebellious creation. He will honor us, right? We don't deserve it, but he honors us if we love and trust in him. It is grace upon grace, gift upon gift, this offering that God, God offers to all people to follow him, to trust him, to love him, to depend on him. And lastly, the person who does this, God promises this in verse 16, I will satisfy him with a long life and show him my salvation. Like much of the rest of the psalm, this is to be understood like wisdom literature, like a proverb where there, this will be generally true in this life. God can provide a, a blessing of a full, long, and prosperous life to those who trust him. And this would be spiritually true 100% of the time. While many Christians have suffered and died at young ages, even many suffering and dying as martyrs, as those witnessing to Christ and sharing the gospel, and they get killed for that, I would, I would be 100% safe to say if you would talk to them in heaven one day, they, despite their physical suffering, despite everything that happened, they would tell you that they lived a full, long, and prosperous life for the glory of God. It's about perspective. It's about what is a full life. What is a prosperous life? If it's not glorifying and trusting in God, then you're missing it. It's not about getting the next big thing or more money, more retirement, more stuff. It's about dying to yourself and trusting God. That is a full life. So during this time of response, I want you to pray to God. Ask him whether you have been devoted to him. Have you loved him? Ask him, do I know you, God? If the answer to those questions is no, then trust in God as your fortress today. See him as who he is, the savior of the world. It's not just about cultural Christianity or doing what your friends and family want you to do. It's about dying to yourself, dying to your sins, and falling on your knees before God and crying for help. Cry out for help today. Set your heart on God. Seek to know him. Seek to really know him, to follow him, and have the assurance of salvation, of eternal life. Have comfort, have peace in this life, knowing God is with you, and he will vindicate you, and he will give you honor. Let's pray. God, search our hearts in this time. Help us respond to your word. If there is anyone here that does not know you, does not love you, does not trust in you as, your, as their fortress, God, I, I pray that today would be the day as you open the eyes of the servant and, and kings where they could see the angels, I ask that you open their eyes to see you, that you would open their eyes spiritually to see all that you've done for them, to see who you are. God, for Christians here today, renew in us this vision. Renew in us, give us spiritual sight to see the world as you see it, to thank you for all things, all the good things that you've given us in our lives. Thank you and we praise you for all the protection that you've, you've saved us from our sin, that you've brought us here into this family of God, that we would be zealous for you. That God, we repent of, as my brother Ricky said, of apathy where we are just so 
prone to apathy and laziness that, God, we, we call out to you, burn our hearts with fire for you, God. God, we cry out to you now. We know that you will answer. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may stand with me.